Welcome to the Party Pro Toolkit, sharing stories and ideas to empower participants and producers of nightlife, festivals, and burner culture. Greetings, this is Melina Liu, and you're listening to the Party Pro Toolkit. Every artist has their own path and journey that led them to where they are today. As you listen to these stories, please keep in mind that we are sharing individual perspectives. What is right for some is not right for everyone. However, there is so much we can learn from listening to others and hearing about their journey. For some artists, it's the right thing to go to art school to take the traditional route. And for others, artists choose to make their own way. Mikey B and Mish have been developing as up and coming artists in the scene of Phoenix, Arizona. The creative couple has been hosting events, creating mixed media art with neon sculptures, and most recently opened their own store and shop in the historic Grand Avenue Arts District, which they call Snood City Neon. They found a niche working with local promoters, Relentless Beats, to create art installations and environments for their large scale EDM festivals hosted throughout the year. Over the years, I've had mixed feelings about commercialized large scale raves and electronic festivals. But at the same time, it's important to acknowledge that these events provide the first experience for many young people coming into the scene. So for us as veteran party professionals and artists in the scene, how do we get involved to help guide that next generation? How are we participating with these opportunities that are happening in our cities where there's budgets and there's funding? How do we integrate as artists into that next level of creating and sharing our work, but also getting hired for gigs? Mikey B and Misha of Snood City share their personal stories about finding inspiration through art school and carrying what they learned into their professional endeavors. We met at their new store and shop on February 28th to discuss their journey and what they learned along the way. So I'm here with Mikey B and Mish of Snood City, a newly opened space on Grand Avenue in Phoenix. Chibi! <laughs> a historic arts district uh, that has been blossoming and blooming and much attributed to the uh, matriarch Beatrix, what is her last name? Beatrice Moore. Moore. Beatrice Moore. She has been a grand matriarch of this space and yes. holding space for artists and keeping it affordable which is a whole other story that we may or may not get into. Um, but first, I just want to chat a little bit about both of you and what led you to Phoenix and being artists, and particularly neon artists. If you want to tell us a little bit about your history and how you got here. So I'm originally from the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and half my family actually lives out here in Arizona. And so when it was coming time to come to school, it was just like, I knew I wanted to go to art school to some degree, but it was like throwing darts at a dartboard, like free application here, this city looks cool. And then my family would always kind of joke like, hey, you coming to ASU next year? And my dad would be like, she's not going there, it's a party school. <laughs> and so it was the night before the application was due and I was just like, you know, I'm gonna do it. And I ended up getting a really nice academic scholarship and I wanted to go out of state and that just tipped the scales to direct me towards ASU. And it took me a little bit, a couple tries, like I started out in the graphic design program and it was just, so scientific like anyone 
with Photoshop and a Mac, you know, could be doing real work and we were still, we were doing everything by hand and I'm super thankful because it trained my already very detailed eye. So it gave me, it gave me a great base, but it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I was talking with my other peers in the dorms who were like, you know, you should try sculpture. I always kept getting directed to 3D and sculpture. And so I tried the intermediate program as well. And that just, it was performance art. And that definitely was not the right fit for me either. So finally, I was looking at the class list and I saw that under sculpture, there was neon. And I've been enthralled by that since I was a kid. My dad had this huge Rolling Stone like tongue in our basement. So like, very early influence and just you're you're always drawn to it so I saw that and I was like I have to take this class and so it was an upper division class and you had to get um, an override from the professor who was Jim White to take the class and I hadn't even taken sculpture one at this point so I enrolled in sculpture one and I went to go get the override and you know, I walk through the door, it's on the first level of the art building, and it's always hidden. I walk through, and I was just like, wow, this place is amazing. And then, you know, they was like, hi, I'm looking for Jim White, and they pointed me over to Jim. And so I go and find him, and I was like, hi, you know, my name's Michelle. I'm, I want to take Neon, you know, giving him my whole spiel. And he's like, have you even taken any sculpture class? I was like, no, but I learned really fast, and just talking, 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 he's like, all right, all right, all right, you know, give me the paper, and I was like, okay, so he signed the override, and I got into the class, and it, it was really cool to, hearing the history from Jim White, and also finding out that, lo and behold, ASU is one of the only three public universities that even offers Neon anymore as a studio art class, so... Um, taking that class and then going through the sculpture program, I ended up getting my BFA in sculpture from ASU, graduating in May of 2014. And it was like everyone that has gone through the ASU sculpture program, a majority of them have taken NEON. So you spend these four years with all these people, your class, and then the people above and below you. And mostly everyone has taken this NEON class. So we all have this love for neon because we've been shown it as an art form that isn't available in a lot of other places like I've really hit the jackpot with ASU in terms of an art department because across the board of what it offers so out of school you know when you get out of school it's a totally different game in terms of like what's available to you as a working artist and because neon has all these different parts you know the high voltage the noble gases the mercury even the flames to bend the tubes it's just like it's very rare that you would even come across that so from school had this love for this art form instilled in me but didn't have the means to do it but everyone you know all the peers were always interested and then Mike ended up taking the class as well um, after we met and it was just like you know we've both taken it we both love it we are in a position to be able to start a shop let's do that 
Yeah. So. So let's let's back it up a little bit. Um, just how did you two meet? Met at Burning Man. <laughs> Actually, before we met at Burning Man, we met on the dance floor of Crescent Ballroom, uh, New Year's Eve of 2000, going into 16. And then nine months later, we ended up finding out we're going to Burning Man together. And, yeah. And so did you just end up at the same camp? Yeah, oh. we went out with the same friends. Yeah. Like, my best friend growing up, uh, since we were three, he stayed at ASU while I went to out of state. And he met a bunch of new people. He introduced me to them, and it was just like party on. It was on my like my <laughs> my friends from sculpture, Jamie and Jamie, and then her husband Siggy. They were part of the original Camp Walter. Like Siggy was the lead mechanic for Walter the bus, and then Jamie was one of the lead creative designers on Calliope. Okay. So they were they have been you know. But going to Burning Man, and we got to know each other and became friends. And she was like, "Dude, I gotta bring you guys to Burning Man. Like, do you want to go to Burning Man?" And we we're like, "Uh, duh, yes." <laughs> you know. So Austin, Mike's friend, he was an architecture student. So we were like, "All right, we're going to Burning Man." And Austin was like, "After the first time we went, the second year it was like, I gotta bring my best friend Mike. Like, he would love it." So he came as part of our camp, Anamkara, which means soul friend. So we're a small camp, like 23 people, I think. And So your first year going was 2016? My first year was 2015, but 2015. Mike's first year was 2016. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Cool. Mike, what led you to where you are today? How'd you get into this scene? Uh, well, I'm originally from uh, North Phoenix. I went to Thunderbird High School. And um, you know, I grew up going, you know, living up there, but then my mom was the art teacher at the Boys and Girls Club in South Phoenix, so after school I would go with her, uh, you know, and spend the day, the rest of the day at the Boys and Girls Club, um, and that was kind of like my introduction to, like, the, into the city, and then, you know, what is that, like, ten years later, you know, I ended up going to the University of Hawaii, uh, where, you know, I was just, you know, I was a full-blown, like, athlete, you know, I was training, I was getting involved, I wanted to walk onto the football team in Hawaii, and then I discovered surfing, and I was like, wow, why would I want to go to school under a coach, you know? Why would I want to get beat up by men when I could get beat up by the waves? By the way, <laughs> so much more romantic. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I ended up, uh, you know, not doing sports, but, like, uh, you know, and I was just, you know, I was always into chemistry. Um, but the way they taught chemistry at the University of Hawaii, it was very dull. You know, the professor had his back to us the whole time, writing stuff on the whiteboard. And I, uh, <laughs> um, and I uh, found myself going into the art building, and inside the art building there was this glowing light that I saw. And I was just like, what is that? And I go in, and it's a glass blowing studio. It's soft glass, furnace glass blowing. And I end up sitting there, I end up missing my class. I ended up watching like someone like blow glass for that hour and that was you know so from there on like I took glass blowing classes and I found out you know glass was like my material to play with it's so you know it's so sexy you know like being able to sculpt it but you can't touch it you know it's so hot uh and and dangerous uh which I feel like is part of you know that like you know, my, that adrenaline rush I would get, you know, playing sports. And so being able to relay that energy uh, and that rush to an art form, you know, I felt like I really, 
you know, connected with glass, you know, and growing up, my mom being as an art teacher, you know, I really felt, you know, I, I, I've been drawing since the beginning, so being able to do sculpture was just elevating that, that drawing. Um, and so then, you know, I, I just was, I was, I was a, like a, a bug. I just couldn't leave. And um, I would be assisting all the grad students in there, like I was slaving away because I wanted to learn so much. And by the time I was graduating, one of the grad students got an artist in residency at Wheaton Village. Uh, his name is Michael Hangler. And he basically took me under his wing out there, and which then led me to getting a job out in Oregon. He gave me a job in Oregon, which then, when I finished my time glass blowing, blowing glass out there, they took me to Chrysler uh, Museum, which was uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, which blowing glass there for two years, I got to meet all these world-renowned artists and meet all these uh, you know, fellow you know, glass geeks. And it was just so cool and learned so much and made so many connections that uh, you know, I knew that this was, my, this was my thing. And you know, eventually I got to, I came back here uh, back to Phoenix. Back oh, so I got so actually when I while I was over there in, in Norfolk, I ended up having a I got connected to one of my one of my friends back in Hawaii to do a solo show in Japan, and while I was over in Japan, I got an interview. I did a, a Skype interview with this glass blowing studio that was just opening up in Sedona, and I I was like, this is my calling, you know, and uh, ended up getting a job. So I left Virginia to go to Sedona. And the people I worked for in, for in Sedona weren't really cool people, you know, they weren't really fun. And, uh, that yeah, yeah, you know, they inherited millions of dollars, never worked a day in their life, and they're trying to tell me how to run a glass blowing studio. I'm just like, yeah, okay, like, peace. <laughs> so, you know, I left there and, you know, moved down here to Phoenix, you know, where all my family is. And I was just crashing at my sister's house for, you know, basically a couple months. And reconnected, or I connected with, uh, reconnected with one of these guys, Jason Trocravardi, who I met when I was in Sedona, and he was part of a glass studio here called Circle Six Studios. And I got to blow glass in there a lot, and you know I got to connect with uh, the glass blowers here in Phoenix, um, and then I eventually got you know a place to live. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna live here. I'm gonna do it. Um, while I was here, it was just like, well. You know, I want to take, I like miss school. Like I wanted to check out ASU, you know, I never experienced ASU and realized they had a neon class. And I was like, oh, without a doubt, I'll do neon. Uh, fell in love with it, but you know, like in Pokemon, you know, my weakness is electricity, but I went the Michael Jordan route and took my weakest, my weakest link, the left-handed jump shot and really wanted to practice it. So here I am practicing my capabilities, my abilities with electricity and sculpture, which uh, is, is my left-handed jump shot. Yeah. But it's, it's, I'm making some, making some hoops, but you know, getting electrocuted a lot still. I hate that. It's so frustrating. Always. But uh, you know what? Uh, basically, like in the end, like if being a visual artist, um, you know, we're you're essentially playing with light, and so as a visual artist, it's like why not just go straight to the source and actually, you know, bend the light itself. So with neon and glass, like you can really do things that you can't really do with any other materials. And so I really like to take those characteristics and encourage that, you know, mal amalgamation of light and materials and colors. And, you know, it's kind of, I feel like my life, you know, with Mish, you know, she's like the only girl I've ever dated that was an, that, that's an artist. And, you know, and where we're at in our lives too, you know, 
leaving school uh, and not being, you know, living under the parents anymore is having to start business, but then also wanting to be true to yourself and wanting to be an artist, uh, at the same time having a relationship. So there's this whole intertwiningness of love, life, business, you know, art, fun, you know, discipline. And it's been such a freaking struggle. You know, we, you know, you think, you think you're doing so well in, in, in this one thing, you know, and like, you know, you're, you're bringing in all these jobs in business, you know, you're getting so much satisfaction, but then it's like, oh, wait, like, when was the last time, like, we just sat at home together and had dinner? Like, when was the last time we just cuddled and didn't do anything? It's like, well, when we're at home, it's like, it's business. But so now, you know, we've been able to go through this process with each other and, uh, uh, and come out to the point where now we, where we have a shop, a storefront on Grand Ave, and we have a 2,000 little square foot uh, workspace. It's less. It's like 1,200. 1,200? 1, 1, Maybe. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we're so working. We're working towards the big warehouse. <laughs> so we've got a 1,200 square foot workspace. And then we have our house. And so all these three buildings are all next to each other. But all those three buildings are exactly like the three separations I find, you know, in this, you know, co like coexistence, you know, with another, with another person. Uh, you know, you have... The love and the, the stuff at home you know separate from you know the art making the you know the sculptures the the festival decor that we do to also you know our storefront business you know and but there is also the overlaps too you know well, of course we're going to talk about art while we're at the dinner table we're going to talk about new ideas we're going to talk about what we didn't like about the last project uh but having you know these sep having these things separate i see a benefit too but i also see it a very huge benefit to my, you know, my loved one being my, my, my partner in crime, my business partner, you know, we do everything together. We, there's never a time we have to shut off, you know, like neon, like it's so depressing to shut off a neon light because what you're actually doing is you're killing the molecules. You're taking the fun out of the molecules. Like when in a, in the glass of neon, it's such a perfect vacuum in there that there's nothing but neon in there. So when you turn on electricity and those those electrodes connect uh the electricity is passing through all the neon molecules and it's exciting them so that's why you know i theorize like why bars are so successful with neon signs is because a bar is supposed to be exciting the people you know it's making you happy it's making you want to be there it's making you want to drink you know have a good time so i see lots of benefits you know to having neon in a party atmosphere you know it's it's just fun you know it's cool what is cool? I don't know. It's for you to de decide, but you know, I bet you cool is going to be in the definition of neon, <laughs> along with hot. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so I, I met you when you were working at Unexpected Gallery, mm -hmm. and I just kind of picked up right away, like, this man is a hustler in the best sense of the word. Oh, yeah. You know, that you're... Um, not only working to get your art out there, you are also working to help uh, create a platform mm -hmm. for other artists to get their work into places. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm kind of curious about that journey. You know, so this space is only mm -hmm. Smooth City has only been open for oh, a few January. months. January first. Friday. Yeah. Oh, this year. Yeah. Yep. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah so I mean, this is. You know, pretty Super fresh. fresh. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's a lot of work that it took to build up towards you know yes. getting this space, mm -hmm. and um, as far as getting jobs in the community, making neon uh, niche viable 
uh, art form for mm -hmm. people in the community. Uh, I felt like you really did a nice job of doing that. Do you want to talk a little bit of that process of kind of creating your own niche for people to come and experience? Well, so uh, my mom, you know, really taught me a lot. And, you know, just she's actually mentored a lot of, you know, very, you know, you know, active, successful, you know, young artists. Um, you know, one of those artists is Francisco, uh, Francisco Enough Garcia. You know, he's, he's very active and wants to do a lot of stuff, but his just, his attention and his, uh, his idea of self-value wasn't there. And so someone like my mom came in and helped show him his value, you know, showed the importance of arts in, a, in you know, in the community. And, you know, because of her teachings to him, he's been able to really hold his ground into very, you know, prominent places. And I feel like I've kind of been able to see all that growing up to all the, you know, the young people she's mentored through her time um, that I learned all these things too. And so I felt like it's kind of been my responsibility to, you know, extend that, you know, extend that knowledge on to uh, young artists. Um, so when I was part of Unexpected, well, one of the things that got me involved with Unexpected was uh, this, the guy's name is Ben Smith. You know, just told, man, if you have any idea that you want to do, you know, he will he will get you. He will find any way he can to get you to do it. And you know, I yeah, he, he helped us get Conference of the Birds going. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, that was right before I, I I came part of Unexpected. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, one day. Coincidentally, like four people told me they wanted to, they asked me like, yo, like I see you paint, like I want a place to paint, like, like let me come paint with you. And I happened to, you know, I live right down the street from Unexpected and you know, Ben's, Ben Smith asked me you know, a while ago, like, yo, if you know, we need, I would love to, uh, you know, commission a mural from you. I waited out until this day and I was just like, yo, Ben, like I got like a couple of homies. Um, you, you see that wall out there, can a couple of us paint it? And you're just like, yeah, totally. So I called up the homies and I'm like, yo, uh, you know, how about like, let's leave, let's meet up Tuesday, you know, Tuesday, six o'clock, uh, bring taco ingredients, you know, it's taco Tuesday. So we'll like, kind of like pout, like, a, um, uh, what you call it? Uh, potluck. potluck. We'll potluck it up. Yes. Uh, and so we do that and we're, these are four, these are three other people, four other people that are three other people that, you know, we, never knew each other until kind of right here right then and there so we're kind of like you know we're drinking we're eating we're getting to know each other and then we we decide to do this little exercise where we each get a paper and we fold it into four pieces and on one of those pieces we draw a picture and then we draw we extend the line over and flip it and give it to the next person so each each one of us did that you know four times and then when we finished we opened it up and looked at it and we're like, whoa, yeah. it's cool seeing like everyone's different styles with all the lines connect. Uh, it's called Exquisite Corpse. Yeah, the yes. Exquisite Corpse, exactly. Yes. Yep. So uh, we picked one that we really liked and we did it. Um, and we loved it so much that we're like, oh, man. Yeah, we painted it. Okay. We, we, put, we painted the drawing and uh, we loved it so much. We're like, well, well you guys want to do this next week? We asked Ben, he's like, sure, totally. We're like, all right. <laughs> so we come do it next week. And during that week, you know, we tell people. Uh, so a couple people come and 21 weeks later, 21 Taco Tuesdays later, you know, it's Thanksgiving. And we did every Taco Tuesday 
where we had muralists, graffiti artists, painters, you know, just anyone that wanted to be creative would come to the yard of unexpected. And we had one of our homies as a chef, uh, Devin, cook tacos, you know, dollar tacos. Oh, yeah, 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 jackfruit. It was all about that jackfruit tacos. Everyone loved that. But, uh, you know, hundreds of people would come. And, you know, everybody, like, kind of knew of one another, you know, through the social medias and just through the scene, but no one ever really met anyone. So this was an opportunity where people were really meeting each other. And uh, and I was also, you know, so my mom uh, is started this nonprofit called the Cultural Arts Coalition. And I was really, you know, trying to work with her and them to help, you know, sponsor the event because, you know, this wasn't making any money for the venue. Um, so it's bringing awareness to the venue. Exactly, and it's bringing coolness. Like, yeah, oh. for sure. All sorts of cool factors. All sorts of coolness. And wait, what's your mom's name? Uh, Judy Butzin. Okay. Judy Butzin. Um, so she started a nonprofit uh, called Cultural Arts Coalition, and she made me have to take it a step further, you know, with, with, the, with the artist. So we did little papers where we would write uh, little questions that, like, uh, you know, they basically revolve around, you know, the three basic questions of humanity. Like, you know, well, where did we come from? Where are we, or, uh, where are we going? And, or what is my point? You know, and so by asking those three questions was to get, you know, the artist to think, you know, critically and to have discussion and, you know, we'll have like, you know, certain art pieces there to kind of not critique on, but like, yeah, talk about it and, and, and you know, understand styles and people's perspectives. And uh, I actually, I coincidentally, you know, it was August at this time, you know, we did this first one that was in uh, July, 4th of July. Uh, by the time August came around, I actually had a conference. I went. I was invited to go to this conference with the uh, Youth for Human Rights at the um, uh, the U United Nations in Washington D.C. And I got to you know talk to about this project that I was you know kind of subconsciously doing about um, uh, just bringing bringing artists into a safe place to for them to understand the right and the freedom of expression you know a lot of people you know are kind of they're nervous to express themselves and what this was what this whole facility this whole like you know taco tuesdays was was just like dude whatever you have to say like put it on the walls you know if it's going to be a penis or if it's going to be a middle finger it's probably not going to be up long but if you have something very you know passionate and beautiful to say guaranteed no one's going to paint over it I so there's a little bit of this, this code that yeah Yep. You know, you want to go up and draw a stick figure, cool, but someone might, you know, draw over that stick figure pretty quick. Yeah, I found out, find out, like, you know, a lot of people that would do, you know, just write their, write their P, or write their name. Um, you know, right, 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 oh, yeah, throw up a piece, you know, their graffiti tag. Uh, it wouldn't last that long, but if you threw up a character, or maybe your letters were just super, super sick, then of course, you know, no one's going to want to touch that. And so, but then it, it slowly became like a museum for artists to, you know, you know, painters to see all these different styles, and all these different perspectives and proportions that people were doing. And it really, it really drove, you know, the, the scene, uh, you know, it pushed us It pushed us to think, it pushed us to be better. You know, a lot of, a lot of artists I find in Phoenix, you know, are self-taught artists. And by being a self-taught art, artist, you don't go through the basic uh, disciplines and uh, teachings of, of, you know, the color theory, of just you know of uh, you know uh, 
uh, proportions and perceptions, you know, accurate percept or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, obviously I haven't, it doesn't matter that I went through school. I don't fucking know all that shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, but so, you know, they, these artists get to subconsciously learn through these other artists and then they take it and make it theirs. And was this all being done with spray paint? Yeah. So most of it was spray paint, but then you'd have a lot of artists that just, that didn't spray paint, but they wanted to be around so much creativity that they would just bring their canvases and sit on the picnic bench or throw out their can they roll out their canvas on the ground. You know, Amber Linky is one of those artists that was the first one, just rolled this huge canvas out on the ground and she just put her headphones on, just throwing paint all over. You see all the, the graffiti artists, you know, just like turn around and be like, yo, what is she doing? Like, damn, dope. <laughs> well, and like, you know, that consistency that was held too is so important. Every week. You know, keep people coming back and know that they have a space, but then, like we were saying before, just offering that platform for artists to come together yes. and create one space, which is something that is actually hard to find. Yes. And it is hard to find a place where someone can practice spray paint murals um, without, you know, being graffiti or mm-hmm. being unwanted. You know, to actually have a safe space for that expression is so important. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was really neat. Um, but eventually it kind of came under new management and yeah new things just kind of changed yeah yeah ben left uh you know it was was taking a a lot on me you know to put that all together you know um that's where like i find myself today you know as a person trying to make it as an artist you know you want to also you know give a helping hand to others that are trying to do it especially because you know because again like the knowledge my mom has given me i felt responsible to pass that knowledge off but at the same time, I still need to make it in the world myself. And so at that, during those times, you know, I wasn't really making art for myself. I was really providing platforms for others. But I saw a benefit because I saw 40 new people. I taught 40 new kids, like, you know, how to get their pieces on canvases into a gallery. You know, something as simple as painting your borders, you know, wire, wire canvas, you know, contracts are important. Understand that the gallery is going to take 40, 50%. So always include that, you know. Um, yeah, account for that whether you're gonna sell it directly or not. Uh huh. Yeah, and so uh, you know, it felt good, but then like uh, then you know, you know, the whole switch in management happened, and uh, we had to stop that. Uh, but like, there were so many relationships that were that were sealed during that time that they're still carrying on today. And we're still doing, you know, there's still paint projects. You know, Nathan Green with the Mural Mondays is now doing it unexpected. It's different, but it's still, you know, that consistency, you know, that, you know, platform for, you know, to getting artists, you know, that, that spotlight. Yeah, that's been great that that's been going. And yeah. it's connected to his art fix or yep. art PHX yep. project. Yeah. He's doing some really good work. So, um, what about you, Mish? What was, what was your lead up of doing the hustle that coming into this space so uh while i was in school snood city stems for from uh this character snoodman that came out of a project when i was in school it was um it was an asu uh mary newbauer was like sculpture three and we got a project to do a piece that it had to have a 12 foot footprint any direction like however it had to have a 12 foot footprint and so my roommate's boyfriend at the time was working at this space it was like this 
retail warehouse collection space and so they got this product that he was like telling us about that he it was like these snoots they're like colorful furry like furry colorful things and he really didn't know how to explain them but he was just talking about them he was like yeah you know would you want me to bring you some and I was like yeah for sure like bring me some you know and so he brings this box over and we pull them out and there are these like you know four colors this magenta this aqua teal black and gray and they are these like I don't know sc snood or snood what people call them it's like a scarf hood so it's supposed oh, to be like okay. this infinity hood but these things were like you put them on and they were too big to like, you know, they obstructed like your mouth or your face and you totally couldn't put them on your head because they would just fall off. They were just this very awkward article of clothing and they had just gotten recalled across the nation, basically. they just weren't designed well. Yeah, and, you, and they also still had the price tag on it and you saw like the retail price original was like $34.95 and then you saw the second sticker and it was like, Fourteen ninety nine, and then you saw the third sticker, and it was like five ninety nine. You know, they just did like someone got fired over this <laughs> because they they got recalled across the nation, and they all got sent to this warehouse, and so there were tons and tons and tons of them. And it's like it reminds me a little bit of the Lorax with like everyone needs a sneeze. Yeah, need yeah, need is a thing that yeah. everyone needs. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so. I, you know, we had this box and we were just pulling them out, like putting them all over everywhere. And it was just like, I've got to do something with these. And I'm just sitting at home looking at this box and I was like, I'm going to cover a room in fur. So I like did this sketch and it was, uh, at ASU sculpture department, they throw a show at the end of every semester, like the sculpture department puts on a show so like that's what was also so great about the sculpture program is not only do you go through art school but you learn those viable skills and what it takes to be an artist after school like a working practicing artist so you know you learn how to do your portfolio you learn how to be a professional you learn how to throw a show you know what that all entails so at, I'm glad they do that. yeah so at the time uh there was a partnership with the Ice House. So every, it was first Friday of December and first Friday of May, the last month of the semester for fall and spring. Um, we would have a one night show at the Ice House and it was a full venue takeover. First, so the sculpture department would take over the entire Ice House and it was on ASU Sculpture Club to organize it and make it all happen. So, um, so it was for uh, the December, show it was called institutional shenanigans and <laughs> so I covered a room it was uh like 21 by 28 by 11 feet this room and I covered the walls the floor all the furniture and uh made this lounge installation space um and then it was like we were like or we made this, or made this lounge installation space, and then as it was coming together, this character popped into play, which eventually is now Snoodman, and it was like he, or it, grew out of the walls. And it was like, it, it was this wearable suit that was able to 
walk around the gallery and like bring the installation to the so viewers. Would, he, would the Snoodman suit like sit on a couch and disappear into the He could, yeah. He, like stand against the wall sure. and you not see him? Yeah. So it was this it was this performance piece. It was this interactive you know, all they call all our installations interactive, but it was this performance piece, you know, enveloped in this installation that moved throughout the gallery. You know, it was like a moving, breathing art piece. So from that point on, Snood just kind of like took over and became this obsession. Like I just start every, everything Snood, Snood everything. Like all day, every day, Snood life, that's my life. And so I kept making these characters and would show them in places. And I had dolls. Yeah, the plushies. I had the wearable mascot suit. Um, One of my, uh, the person who connected me to uh, Jared of Jared in the Mill, his manager, Travis, was also managing this pop artist named Luna Aura. And yeah. yeah, yeah, she's in LA now, but she was, you know, do very active here in Phoenix. So for there was a while where Snoodman was her mascot. So she would do a show, you know, at Crescent or something like that, and I would cover the stage in Snood, and I would hang the Snoods all over the stage, and then Snoodman would be at her shows, like in the crowd, dancing, interacting with people, and things like that. So it was this, you know, bringing the art to the people you know this interactive art is about interaction like snood is about instigating shenanigans and freedom of expression like it's not just something on a wall to look at it's something for you to participate and be involved in and so just kept showing different places and different things and um like we being sculptor you have you know builder skills and like making um, very into um, se- sensual art in the sense of art that caters to your senses, you know, like touch, smell, sound, you know, it takes it that one step further of just the visual of this interaction because you're able to take it in more deeply, you know, and layer the different meanings in there. So, yes, it's beautiful. Yeah, so Snood, uh, you know, just kept doing things with it and setting up the lounge in different instances um and through unexpected um there were these parties called ancient future that our friend samuel was throwing samuel morgan wiseman two courtiers two courtiers (laughs) so it was samuel and lyle lyle maxon they were the two courtiers and they were throwing events called ancient future they started at different locations but they ended up throwing some at um, Unexpected, and that was kind of like when we were just on the peripherals of Unexpected, you know, involved. Ben wanted to help us out however he could. Okay, so is that what kind of brought you both like into that space a little bit more? Yeah, uh, I, so Francisco Flores, okay. Crystals and Lasers, so when he was, uh, you know, working Crystals with, and lasers. yeah, when he was working <laughs> with Devin Fleener, Unexpected was like their home studio and I went to school with Francisco and we would geek out on like lasers and lights and mirrors and and Francisco was on the board to my mom's nonprofit the Cultural Arts Coalition just the you know the the the, the town mentality all the the circles and I first met um, Francisco when him and Devin were sneaking around the back room for uh, Conference of the Birds that we produced oh yes 
and we had cameras set up. We were using this upstairs and this whole thing, and we're like looking at our security cameras that weren't necessarily set up for uh -huh. security. We're like, we got people creeping around back there. Who is that? They had to go, you know, go up there, and they were just they were creeping around on us. Uh -huh. but they were they were working in a different part mm -hmm. of the warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like first time I met Francisco and Mark, and I'd already been, you know, fangirling Devin Cleaner yeah. for a while. I already stopped him down at like the Nicholas Jar show, and I was like, "You're incredible. I don't know what you're doing, but I know I want to work with you." <laughs> and he took that, and he was like, "Yeah, okay, nice. Let's do something." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like so that whole community is so great. Yeah. So that was that was how I went to school with Francisco, and he was like, "I'm interested. I, you know, lights and lasers, optical illusion, using mirrors mm -hmm. and things like that. You know, it's art. It is about perspective. You know, it's perspective and observation. Your, your perspection. Perspection. You know, it's a blend because where you're standing and how you see, you know." how you see a piece is going to be different how I see a piece even our locations in the room we are going to take in the piece in a different way well and even just your relational interpretation from your own experience mm -hmm. yeah. so I'm me and Kiko did some stuff in school and they were working on unexpected and he was like working on some laser projects and he's like dude you gotta you know just come see what we're doing so you know I go in there and there's like lasers all across this warehouse and he's showing me around this warehouse and my mind is just like exploding as we turn every single corner like with the possibilities that a space mm -hmm. like this holds and the fact that you know they're able to use this space as a home studio and the opportunity that provides them to explore their work so it was like I have to be more involved in this space like what's going on in the space and it led to my my a different roommate at the time uh, was going to these ancient future shows and he was like I need you to enter I was telling him how I want to get more into like festival and installation mm -hmm. art you know like space curation um, and he was like you have to meet my friend Samuel and Lyle they throw these parties mm -hmm. you know I'll connect you two so it just so happened that the next one was going to be at Unexpected. We got connected and was just telling Samuel about kind of what we do and uh, the Snood Lounge, which is like the fur installation room. And he was like, yes, let's totally do that. So that was not too long after Mike and I had met. And there was another room off of the room that ended up being the Snood Lounge, which is that like uh, the locker room, the haunted locker room yes. on the second floor. Um, and so they needed something to activate that space. So Mike brought in all his like glass wares and bones and created this really beautiful altar coming mm. out of the fountain. So we had these like two installation spaces next to each other and they were both super successful, you know, and once you, it's like, once you do one successful piece, you're like, oh, more, more, let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just that, that feeling of, mm -hmm. you know, experiencing people, experiencing your art yes. is mm -hmm. just, yeah, yes, you know, there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you create. It's like you're the. You become the architect. You know, you become the party architect. Mm -hmm. And based off of you know what it is you put in there, you know, colors, symbols, materials, you know, you know how much, you know, volume, you know, really influences what is to be going on. So to have, so to be the architect, and then you have the the performers going in. To then, you know, the viewers, you know, having all three, you know, in synchronicity, like who was it? It was a uh, John Cecil, uh, Bambuka. Bambuka. The, uh, they did the sound, sound healing, healing in that in my altar room, 
and there's 30 people in there, like all sitting on the ground in the corners. Really Whoa. The energy of that haunted space where someone had been murdered. Yeah, right? yep, yep, yeah. I used to tell that story to all the all the, the potential yeah, clients. Yeah, but like the, actually, the um, I heard that that you were able to like through those kinds of ceremonies, like they were actually mm-hmm. able to change the energy of that mm-hmm. space. Yeah, so that's I mean that's kind of what I went into it with. You know, I was really you know honoring the dead and you know having a lot of living people you know in there. You know, we're all young. We're all bombarded by you know the the sounds of life that we kind of all have this moment in there with the huge, like it's like a $10,000 gong that they were banging like in front of us. Oh man, it was so nuts. But I uh, really felt like, you know, that was like, you know, our introduction to the space that, that, you know, coincidentally I ended up working there two years after, but it was like my, like my giving to the, the spirit of the space. Cause it's like, you know, that spirit is made, like supposedly it has been there, you know, since the forties and you know, like, it's like being, you know, thankful, you know, uh, you know, to, the, you know, to the gods, you know, the ancestors, mm-hmm. having, you know, getting, you know, their protection for the space. So that was really, that was fun. That was, that, yeah. that was really fun. And that actually speaks a little bit to what that, you know, the concept of ancient future. Uh huh. Yes. Yep. It was like that marriage of these things, mm-hmm. and so bringing in bambuka and the sound healing and the gongs and like the. Um, the singing bowls and things like that yep. that really was you know part of that ancient aspect but then it's extra beautiful that it also got to be part of clearing the spiritual space mm-hmm. that had been holding this disruptive energy for a very long time mm-hmm. um so now we're getting into party stuff ah, yeah. that was a good transition was, yeah it was like you know coming around i guess like the i don't know if i keep talking but no, like yeah. so so that? like we yeah. we did these ancient future events cuz we were like how did how did this come to be it's like the long circle but so we were doing these ancient future events and you know Samuel and Lyle saw kind of the level that we brought of space you know of space activation to the event and they were like okay we want you guys to do this again for us so we did this next one where we did these giant paper mache octopus tentacles and it was like this mermaid lagoon oh my god i remember that yeah yeah Yeah. with all the fishnets Uh and the rope and everything in the back Oh, the, the wall. wall. It was yeah. like a divider that divide wall. That you yeah. used once to project on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, again, we did this, you know, space curation, activation, and even these boxes, actually, that you're sending out and are part of an ancient future thing. Um, and so it was, like I said, it was that we, we got that itch of, like, okay, we just want to keep, keep doing this, you know, mm-hmm. bigger and better and more. And so Samuel and Lyle actually used to work for Relentless Beats, which is a huge EDM production event company here in the Valley. Which we need to send them an email here soon. uh, (laughs) I know, I do want to get into that a little bit. And, right, so... they were looking for, uh, they had, they, you know, they've been around for a while and they had finally gotten to a place where they had a budget to dedicate to art, art decor and activation. And so they kind of put out, like, put out on the radar that they were looking for people, like a build team you know mm-hmm. and uh Sam, we had done stuff for samuel and you know we always had a ball on a budget with the ancient future stuff yeah. you know like we had all these crazy ideas but it was like we would always have to you know okay take it back down to like what can we work out 
Um, so Samuel connected us with Relentless Beats, and the first one was Gold Rush 2017, and we made these like 3D riveted letters that were like seven, seven feet, feet tall, tall by five feet wide. Yeah, it said Gold Rush, and that was our first event, and it was it was a hit. It was super successful, and. You know, they were like, well, our next one is Decadence, which is their New Year's event, which is like a, their, mm-hmm. one of their biggest ones of the year. And so, you know, it was like if we do well on Gold Rush, which we did, you know, then we can talk about Decadence. And so we got that one as well. And that just kind of like it was a domino effect because we were able to deliver a quality product on time, on budget, you know, what we said it was going to be we became their go-to fabrication team and with like with this going on it's interesting too because we're you know we have you know a group of homies that are all builders and you know speaking of platforms you know we saw this as like you know a platform to get other homies involved like we're on a train like snoodman's this train that's just going and you you can jump on or you can jump off whenever you want but you know if you jump on like no we're going places yeah <laughs> so uh yeah we've been able to you know uh with the bigger budgets you know be able to bring more people on and do bigger stuff and it's been you know that's been a whole nother thing roller you know, coaster working with four or five different people you know when you're working on painting you know you can be as creative as you want you know it's you and the painting mm-hmm. um you know as artists you know because like we're all you know we're all coming from art degrees you know we all were, came from you know being uh, you know, kind of groomed within the university art perspective, you know, of that level of quality, you know, fine art, you know, the, you know, the execution uh, that, you know, you give, you tell a bunch of art, these like, you know, university artists to build like, you know, something for a rave. And it's like, it's not going to be something that you just like, you know, a theater production crew is going to make, you know, something with that mentality. If it looks good from 30 feet away, it's prime. It's like, no, like, you know, Misha's eye to detail was just like, no, I don't care. Like, you know, we make this look good. Like, you know, yeah, up to the... people are going to be walking right up to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but to credit the theater kids, you know, they do some really fine... Oh, I mean, no, I love it because what, well. what, no, what the, the benefits of the theater is like, you can make a whole two-story building in a day and it works. It totally. may not look... And then you're doing like really like loose brush strokes and yes. texturing yeah. and things like that. Yeah, so, like, that's where I see the benefit in that, you know, with us, you know, with the eye of detail, you know, that's the, the downside of the having the eye of detail is now you're spending a lot more time, you know, on, you know, certain things. And uh, so it's been like, you know, this kind of roller coaster ride of understanding how we work efficiently within, you know, that, that given time frame that we are, you know, that, that we're given. Uh, but, you know, we're still, we're still learning. We're still trying to figure it out. Um, you know, we went, we get, we do really good on some projects. We do really, you know, up to the final wire and we're like, have no more money kind of thing, but we still finish and you know, we finish every time. And, you know, we always, we always have like a reflection, you know, kind of gathering to really talk about with the team, you know, how we did, you know, how we could do better. And cause emotions go high, you know, yeah. you're, you're, you're working, you know, you got 10 days to finish like, you know, 24 foot, 10 foot by 15 foot butterfly. And you find yourself being in there for the past four days, you know, until four or 5 AM every day. And you're in there the next day at 10 AM, you know, with, and, but you're back to seeing the person and it's just like, it's frustrating, but you have to get it done. So it doesn't even matter. You know, you'll almost like say something dick 
or like very selfish right then and there. You want to apologize right then and there because you don't have time to apologize. But it all comes back around in that reflection meeting. I find there being big benefits to hashing out, you know, that stuff. Because in the end, we're just, we're all people. We're all friends. We were friends first before we did this. So kind of, re, you know, remembering that it, uh, through those hard times, that's, you know, that's the that's a big, big lesson, you know, because yeah. it, you can take life so seriously, but then, you know, in the blink of an eye, it can all be gone. So how serious do you want to take life? That's, yeah, it's giving a fuck about the right things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I've, I've had that too, you know, where I've worked in production and art installations and stuff where, like, I will sometimes, I've had to say this where I'm like, I'm really sorry that everything coming out of my mouth right now sounds sassy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I don't know what to do about this tone. Yes, yeah. Please yes. forgive me. Right. I don't know, I'm like, please no, I don't know what else to do. It's, yeah. just how I, it's just how things are coming out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, that's all I can do because like, I can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just tired and overworked mm-hmm. and stressed and I'm trying here. Yeah. But like, please forgive me. Yes. And almost one of the coolest things, you know, after you get through all that stress, you know, because like, after the stress, the idea of after the stress is means you install the piece and it's done. So in the places that we install these pieces, you know, it tends to be a party. So for us to then to go to that party and see our pieces there, mm-hmm. and we have no tools on us, we don't care, we built everything right, so we it, it, it's going to work, it is working, that is the coolest time. That's just like when you think of all the hard times, like it was so worth it. It was so worth it. Yeah, and then, you know, when you get through that with your team. Yes. And then you can go back to it with your team. And and it's learning to um, put people in positions to be successful, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, kind of learning where people's strengths and weaknesses are and leaning into each other's strengths Mm -hmm. um, is a really big thing. And, uh, you know, I went to Decadence for the first time this year, Mm -hmm. and I saw you there with uh, Tom Jordan and... I uh, got to see the really cool crystals that you guys made, and I sometimes, I you know, I grew up as a kid where, like, anything, I was just anti-anything popular, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, just anything that was, like, too popular, I was like, oh, God, no, please, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, I've, I've learned how that can also be very judgmental, mm-hmm. And um, in some respects, it's like I definitely had held some judgments about these really big electronic dance festivals happening. And um, my friend got me in with like a VIP pass for Decadence, which was such a gift. And I had to fight through so much of my own personal judgment just to get there. (laughs) And I know, I'm just like, I don't know, these young rolling raving kids. Uh, (laughs) You know, just all the things. And and I got there and I was really pleasantly surprised. And I, it, it clicked for me. And I talked to you a little bit about this, Mikey, that I was like, you know, a big company like Relentless Beats, just the fact that we have these big festivals happening here in Phoenix and Arizona is so important. Mm -hmm. This is such an important part of our whole ecosystem of having all these different facets of experience available for people. And for me to just like sit there in the underground and just like hate on (laughs) something because it's successful isn't very productive. Mm And so that was really eye-opening for me, mm-hmm. and um, and it was really neat to get to run into you and Tom Jordan and that whole little crew to just kind of see that uh, you've kind of made this niche in 
there, mm -hmm. working with Relentless Speeds as an opportunity to start be bringing in more quality art mm -hmm. into those spaces so that it isn't just, mm -hmm. you know, a streamlined corporate type environment. Mm -hmm. It becomes an artistic environment. Mm -hmm. It becomes a place that's more playful. It becomes a place that starts to lean on more of the kinds of things that you'll see at Burning Man or at Coachella. And that that environment that gets created for an event is so important mm -hmm. to where I feel like previously Relentless Beast was pretty bare bones. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, it's like they focus on the stage design mm -hmm. and, you know, and maybe like, I don't know. LED screens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like they keep it pretty trim, but I think that what you're bringing to those kinds of events is really valuable and also kind of merging these worlds yeah. and creating opportunities where there's an opportunity to pay artists, mm -hmm. you know, something reasonable where a lot of our small events, it's hard to like really pay the full value mm -hmm. because we're working with such small budgets. Yeah. And we've been very fortunate in this pairing with Relentless Beats, you know, that has given us a platform, you know, to grow our business, to do what we do and in turn provide a platform to others, you know, to be able to, we're like art artist dealers almost in the sense of like yeah with you and your lights trying yeah. to get your stuff in there yeah, but yeah you know we've got boots and stuff yeah, yeah we're because we've been extended the hand from relentless beats because they finally have had the budget you know we know what we're worth and what our artist peers are worth and to be able to be like this is what you need like mm -hmm. here it is and to be able to yeah pay our artist friends you know to bring their installation out so it's not just us but it's like activating the community because of the opportunity that we were given and like bringing in that quality you know it's not sure, just yeah. it's not whatever because it's all about intention and part of our intention is you know to infuse the masses with that that spirit of what we all create Dude, the, yeah. the first Realness Beats Festival I went to was Phoenix Lights 2017. This is the one before... 16. 2016. Yeah. Uh, they had these dudes in, uh, like, uh, like, painting suits with, like, a, like a, a, a face mask. But it was all done on these PVC pipes. And they were just put out into the field and we were all looking at each other like wait what like these are gonna get ruined destroyed <laughs> destroyed and sure enough by the end of the night they're gone like you don't they're know leveled. they're just leveled like they put up they fencing around janky. it they yeah. tried to put uh, up fencing around <laughs> yeah. it but it was literally like you know you saw someone in the crowd like oh, with the dude yeah. because they were just they weren't made for the rave culture you know yeah. because that's the other thing with these builds like not not we want to provide quality but we also have to provide that stability of like people are going to be climbing on this people are going to be like oh and pretty shiny object like i'm going to get all up in this you <laughs> know they become so accustomed to quote unquote yes. interactive art mm -hmm. yeah and yep. they want they you know they want to it's a standard the strengths of it. yeah people at burning man just straight up try to break things and it's like why yeah, yeah. why would you do that <laughs> right things hold together with zip ties yeah <laughs> With, you know, these opportunities with Relentless Speeds, I know it's also opened a similar opportunity with um, Pot of Gold Festival, which is being produced by uh, Lucky Man Productions, mm -hmm. and um, 
through that process, are you making some sort of database that I hear? Like you're creating like kind of a collection of local artists' pieces. So we have like a, a Snoodman catalog. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's basically like a Snoodman catalog and uh, you know, so Boots, you know, Boots has his walls and his couches that he he put in there. We have your your lights and your cycles in there. Mm -hmm. um, flower cycles. Flower cycles. <laughs> um, we have just we have basically all our all our art pieces we've made to then just like our to then pulling in the neon element as well. Um, it's so I mean it's just very very minor right now. Oh, and then talking with Ian, you know, having Mojob and you know Big Willie, mm -hmm. you know, to be part of this whole thing that we can introduce to, you know, these different uh, you know production companies. Um, it's it's interesting because we've been having these conversations with, with Relentless. We've been understanding how the arts really work within their company, and uh, knowing what works best and what doesn't. And so for us to kind of have experienced this stuff we can kind of like you know plow make you know pave the road for other artists to come in and you know this is kind of what happened with me and effin vodka was you know i did a project with effin vodka that was very successful um you know with a, a mural project that then they hired a pr company to, to take it over because they were gonna put more money into it they want to put you know have this pr company do it so i stepped you know they had me step out uh, the PR company did terribly because they just don't know how to communicate with artists and they just and uh, the compensation just there, there was none and so the spirit of the artists weren't really there so the event was very poor and I told I went and told F and Vodka like yo dude like that event was you know, it was crap like what happened and you know they're telling me some things and they turn around the conversation like how about we hire you to be the middleman you know and we'll fire the PR company I was like Oh shoot! Okay, <laughs> so I went home, thought about it. You know, called my mom, of course. <laughs> I, I wrote up a budget, and she's like, you know, double it. You know, this is corporate. You know, you need to give them, you know, more of this, so you they need to be paying you more. And so that was like, you know, I, so I did it, and they hired me, and so I was like facilitating, you know, the conversations between corporate and artists, uh, basically making sure artists were executing corporate vision but also making sure artists were getting compensated respectively because artists will kind of do those without knowing what they're doing and you know what, like you know what happened to one to one of the artists since I was part of that you know they went around me and they hired one of the artists to paint you know these bottles you know fit 10 of these bottles for so much and the artist heard one thing corporate heard another thing and when the time happened for the exchange they were not they were not on the same page and that's where I was frustrated because I was like, yo, like I should have been the one doing that. Like this is why I you guys hired me. Yeah, to be able to translate. Yeah, things. yeah, because you know, artists are really, you know, are very different, you know, from the, the typical, you know, corporate entity. And, you know, having being able to play both sides of the field, I can really help, you know, you know, artists, you know, have have it correctly to the point where they're not just thrown in you know, live painting in the dirt, you know, that they will actually have, you know, tickets to give to their friends, you know, making sure they get, you know, the proper times, but also making sure that they're not, you know, not showing up on time when, you know, the corporate wants them to show yeah, up. It's like ensuring that the need is being met for the artist, yes. and then also the expectations are being met for um, the corporate entity is hiring. And I think that that's, 
you know, one of the things that really inspired me to want to chat with you about all this is kind of like this this bridge that can happen mm -hmm. where I know some people can be really um, quick to throw out things, but like, oh, you're selling out. And it's like, well, it's, it's more building a bridge, mm -hmm. right? You know, like creating opportunities for artists, being able to translate and speak into this different language, you know, that is the corporate entities, but that is like where money is. And mm -hmm. it's like, you can still have, you know, hold integrity in your art mm -hmm. and what you will and will not do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and still have like your mission and your value, but get, gain more exposure. And I think that there's opportunity for more artists to explore those kinds of opportunities. There's yes. more opportunity to explore those opportunities. <laughs> and, um, but then also, um, to also get these people who have the money to kind of start looking a little deeper into their local community mm -hmm. and like who are creative assets mm -hmm. and so you you know operating as that liaison mm -hmm. to help connect these different people into these spaces that they might not otherwise be connected with I think is really valuable and it's something I would love to see um, continue in mm -hmm. Phoenix like a trend I'd just love to see keep going is like what does it look like when our local companies start to you know local companies or big corporations that are based here when they start investing in their local community yep. and their mm -hmm. artists that are here to do cool things for them that mm -hmm. are so much cooler than something you'd order online mm -hmm. or from some stagnant yeah. events company yeah <laughs> dude uh i mean the whole relationship of michelangelo and the church you know back in the day yeah you know it's like the reason why Michelangelo is known to be such a you know profound artist is because of what he did for the church. You know, going back to this whole thing of you know, you know, Phoenix having a bunch of you know, uh, just self-taught artists is one of the things about that is you never get to you you want you you experience this voice that you have and you feel like to be an artist is express this voice. Uh, and so in that sense, like when you make an art piece for another person, you know that your voice isn't in there. I find that successful artists will, their voice will inevitably be in their creation that they make, you know, but, you know, but Michelangelo painted what the church wanted, but it was his styles that were in, in his pieces that made him separate, made him different from all the others. Um, you know, a lot of artists, you know, they want to just do themselves, you know, in this F and vodka contest, you know, F and vodka, you know, paid these artists to be there and they gave them an opportunity to win $3,000 and to get their bottle, their image on, on 6,000 bottles. Uh, some artists were like, oh, like, cause I gave them a packet and there's rules that the corporation wanted on the bottles. And uh, some artists were like, no, I'm not going to follow the rules. I'm going to just paint whatever I want to paint. And it's like, cool. Yeah, sure. Walk away with that hundred bucks. But you know, understand like you're not going to be in the contest then. But, you know, if you are really like, if I find if you're really comfortable with your style and you, your, your identity, your identity is inevitably like, you know, accessible in what you paint, then if you follow the rules of the, of what the corporate wants, you know, you have this opportunity to winning $3,000, you know, and your piece is going to be on a bottle. So you are going to be on that bottle, but you know, we as artists want to be the rebels. We don't want to follow rules. It's like, well, the thing about Michelangelo again is he was the artist of his time. You know, artists, we need artists in our society just as much as we need firefighters, just as we need policemen. So to be an active member in the community as an artist, you must be an artist for the people, not for yourself. And that's where I find, you know, it's really hard 
for a lot of artists to go outside of that selfishness because, you know, when you want to be creative, you know, you just want it to be you. But, you know, if you really see truly deep inside yourself, you know, I, I think you'd see the world. And so the people you surround yourself with are you. You know, the attitudes that you, you're getting from these other entities that you think is corporate, you know, BS, that's only in you, man. Like, these corporations yeah. actually work. Like, there's sustainable environments, you know, self-sustaining outside of this, you know, aquaponic system. Like, oh, I only eat the food I, I grow. And it's like, well, I mean, you know there's someone out there that only grows food. So, and there's only one, there's only one person that builds houses. You know, there's a huger community relationship of these people that grow food and build houses. You know, this exchange, it's called money. <laughs> but I don't know. It's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's, it's very interesting because uh, we're in this, like, middle grounds of young artists and, you know, artists, you know, that are, you know, that have been doing it. And you see these artists that are doing it and you're like, damn, they're just expressing themselves. And it's like, well, not really. They're doing, you know, what is for the community their style but what themselves is is what you see is what their style is and that's just because they know who they are if you know who you are i find you know you actually make things for people and but if you don't know who you are how can you make things for other people you need to know who you are first yeah that reminds me of um i heard alex gray alex mm. and allison gray speak at my first burning man which was 2012 and um they were talking about the creative process and they were saying that to you know complete the process of creating you have to share what you make ah, mm -hmm. yes if you keep it to yourself you're never going to get fulfill mm -hmm. that complete cycle of creating something mm -hmm. you know because i know so many artists who just keep it to themselves and keep it in their book but you're not going to really like that's kind of what we were talking about earlier too just that exchange of like man like when you make something and then you share it with somebody and mm -hmm. you get to like share in that expression um, how beautiful and powerful that is and to really think you know again on like the judgments of are judgments holding us back you know are these judgments real can we look past the things that we think we know to really look at individual situations as they are mm -hmm. you know rather than putting these blanket labels on things to be like all corporations are bad mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. or is you know all money is bad but at the same time like money is a value exchange and, a, and a tool ultimately yeah it's a tool for us to get to do what it is we want to do and it's like AZ Lotto you can't win if you don't play <laughs> you know you gotta yeah. play the game to win the game and us in the roles like being brought up how we have with like you know Mike's mother instilling this very strong important sense of art and your relation to self in that and the community in that and my father is a, is an entrepreneur the businessman like the relation of your creativity to other people to mm -hmm. those around you to your network you know like that's what it's about so you you learn what it takes and you you know it's like you're infiltrating the system you know yes. we are the renegades but like we're doing it the right way we're building it the right way so that we can give it back out so that we can get in there and you know show the quality and the heart that our community have and that the artists have and that like that's what corporate needs. This is what you're looking for. This is what you want. But if you don't have it together, if you don't know what you're doing, if you're just like 
oh, I'm an artist, whatever, whatever, you're never going to get your foot in the door and you're always going to be sour and like perpetuate that starving artist. But we're, we're, uh, you know, I'll never call myself poor because we're so rich with like the people we surround ourselves with and what we create. But, you know, that money factor is sustainability as a tool. All it is is, like, it's not get more in the sense of, like, like personally. It's, like, get more so that you can extend the hand and lift others up as well. Because that's yeah. what yeah. it's all about is, like, we've gotten to where we've gotten to because of the people who have helped and guided and mentored us along the way. And so it's our duty to keep that going you know the pay it forward yes yes and that actually that ties into kind of one of the um i don't know what to call it but the repeated questions that i like to get into with these podcasts to inform the toolkit um is you know burning man has the 10 principles right but there's this other unspoken ethos that permeates our party culture and all these other environments that are not burning man and so i've been wanting to translate this, this ethos and these things that exist, these other set of principles that apply to the other spaces. And um, I'm just curious if you guys have any thoughts of what could be there. But one of the things as, you know, um, you know, as a, a person, as a human being in this day and age, compared to, you know, a century ago, is us and our understanding of our, um, how detrimental or how we're screwing up the world exactly how much how much effect we are having on the world you know it's almost it's such a commonly known thing that uh an artist a hundred years ago isn't really necessarily going to be using recycled goods you know maybe there were some but it wasn't really like uh there wasn't no warning in the air whereas nowadays you know there's so many things already made it's like why make more like use what's yes. already around repurposing repurpose so re yeah. as as an artist i find ourselves like you know the, like first of all you know budget wise you know like why make this like wooden cabinet when we just can find a wooden cabinet off the ground or off the off the side of the road and we can build off of that mm -hmm. you know kind of thing you know all this metal you know all these people you know throw away all this stuff that uh you know i i find yeah. Minimize. Yeah, yeah. So like one of the things Burning Man has taught me, you know, is going out there is like what you go out, what you go out with, or yeah, what you go out with, you come back with, or no, what you go in with, you come out with. Mm -hmm. And so really, really knowing your, yeah, really knowing your impact, you know, your carbon footprint. You know, as artists, it's kind of that same type of challenge. Yes. Of you know, how can you use what exists, what you have, what's available, what can be repurposed. And uh, when I spoke with Kirk from Walter Productions, that was one of the things he was saying is the part of the Walter values is use what you have. Nice. You know, use what we have first. Yes. Um, and it's a, it's a good reminder because we, you know, at the same time, it's hard not to be hypocritical in some sense. Oh, it totally is, you know, and I... But like, you know, I love standing for something. It's like, you know, people that don't stand for something, I like, I find that they never really advance past, you know, like they never grow like their mentality of the world. You know, it's by standing for something, you know, you're, you're putting that on a pedestal and it's being allowed to be shut down. You know, the best thing about it being shut down is like you trying to understand why it was shut down to you growing. So maybe you understand you stood for this last year now this next year you don't um there's a quote from the uh, house of cards 
Uh, on the path to success, one will come across hypocrisy and casualties. If I stayed with my same friends I was with in high school, I would not be where I'm at. I would not be happy, I don't think. So it's like you have to lose some people in your life. You know, those are going to be the casualties. And, you know, being the, the hippie, you know, rebel kid in middle school and, you know, growing up, like, I, if I was to still be a rebel, like, I wouldn't be playing the game of economy, you know, the economic world, you know, and I'd be anti, you know, against that. And the thing about the economy, economics, is that is the true, true system. Uh, sustainability of human existence on earth yeah. and if we want to be hippies you know we want to be one love then we gotta look at exactly the huge picture of what our love really is doing for one another and not just this like oh they're wearing a suit they're in a nine to five and it's like dude you should be thankful that they're in a nine to five so you don't have to you know john adams had this quote i study war so my sons can study business so in turn their sons can study art you know there's this natural phenomenon you know, of that, you know, my grandparents were in the military to my parents being, uh, you know, business. So now that by them being in business has allowed me to be coming into this life, not in a struggle. So I've been able to really like study philosophy and theory and, you know, just, you know, s social, I don't know, just yeah. anything that you can't really do when you're struggling trying to make money. Well, like, it gets into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs yes. and Maslow's expanded hierarchy of needs, which I only learned about more recently, which includes aesthetics mm -hmm. and um, not only self-actualization, but this level of transformation where once you reach self-actualization, you want to put your efforts back out into your community mm -hmm. and help in transformational efforts for others. Yes. And I really love that, like, because the, 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 the basic Maslow hierarchy of needs is, you know, a lot more familiar for people, but the expanded hierarchy of needs, I think, really speaks into what we're experiencing in these um, creative communities as far as, like, once we feel, you know, we have a, it's up to us to make sure that we're housed and fed and clothed, and once we have that level, we're seeking community connection and a sense of belonging. Once we have that, we're wanting to like start contributing and giving back and working towards this place of self-actualization. Mm. And he adds in there this um, seeking aesthetics, the aspiration for aesthetics in mm. our lives, wow. which I think is really beautiful yeah. Uh, yeah. to consider. But then like, you know, the roaring 20s, 100 years ago, we're kind of in a similar age where we're, you know, everything's going great. Success, success, success. Uh, and then just huge 1929 yeah I mean, great depression and you know it's it's bound to happen you know yeah. the whole cycle of john adams what he was talking about what comes after art it it comes back around mm. and so like i don't know it's it's interesting because you know i battle with it every day you know we want to make art but then it's like oh shit my laundry's not done like i need yeah. to do my dishes but it's like no no art 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 <laughs> But it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's fun. Um, going back to the, you know, that the cycle of the, the, the Great Depression, you know, and us kind of, you know, maybe coming t to that, you know, I think if we really work together, we learn from the history, you know, and art is really successful in its day and age of bringing people together. You know, when a Great Depression happens, we're there for one another. You know, I don't know what, you know, what happened 100 years ago. If they were there for one another, I'm, I'm guessing they had to have been, you yeah. know, for us to be here where we're at today. But having community, having connections yes. is so important for us to be able to work through those hard times together. 
because you never know when a, a bomb's gonna drop, you know, and you know, if shit can shit can go south, but good times, well, good times. Anyway, uh, so let's let's kind of bring this back full circle and just um, you know, any final thoughts as far as like things you've learned along the way that you'd like to share with other people. I think we touched on a lot of really good insights, but just any final thoughts in that direction I think a big one too especially when working with a team that's come up a lot is accountability and Mm -hmm. patience Um, the accountability factor is huge because you know like we've said it's it's not just about you you know if you're if you're doing something greater than yourself if you're working within a community you are on the hook to others you know and if you're working in a team and you say you're gonna do something then it is your responsibility to follow through or have the respect for your team to let them know where you're at in the journey. I feel like even as artists, you know, Mm -hmm. we're sensitive and we're emotional and like we're not going to be on time or we're not going to execute this thing and we kind of like retract and it's like letting them know that we're not on it is worse, you know, than it's like, but that's worse to let it ride and to stay out of contact and like to basically ghost your responsibilities as opposed to owning it. You know, like, yeah, own it, you know, like, you know, not like putting your problems above other people's problems. Like, oh, I had this, that, and the other thing, because when you speak like that, you're, you're inadvertently telling someone that your problems are more important than their problems and that your your tasks have more like it's harder to do execute your task than it is to do the person that you're telling this to or that you know shows how you're holding your priorities of your right. personal priorities compared to this team commitment that yes. you've made mm-hmm. and how that you know affects other people right and we all yeah. and we all count on each other you know like you say you're going to have this done by this day or be here at this time as your teammate and my trust in you, that is what I expect. And trust is the most important thing, you know, in any kind of relationship, mm-hmm. whether it's a lover, a friend, a teammate, anything that is, for me, the highest priority. Because if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. And so just, you know, staying mm-hmm. accountable to one another. Things happen, everyone messes up, like, you know, you get that no one's perfect you know but just being aware of your actions and what you're doing and how that relates to your team and that's kind of beautiful you know because at the root of it you're talking about like be aware of your impact Mm -hmm. on others be aware of your Mm -hmm. impact on your team and then you have mike talking about be aware of your impact on the earth Mm -hmm. and like and that's you know such that Thing of being self-aware mm-hmm. in um, not only how our own experience is happening, but how our experience does affect and impact and you know hopefully inspire other people at the best. Mm-hmm. But that's really great insight. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking off of all the things I've already said. Um, thing I probably haven't talked about you know I really love the idea of work hard play hard um, you know when you like a lot of people see me like thinking like you know I'm having a lot of fun you know I just have fun have fun and like I don't you know it's whatever but like the only reason why I feel so comfortable having so much fun is because I put so much time you know and hard work into something uh, 
but at the same time, people that, you know, work really hard, I, I see it, you know, such a valuable thing to go out and have fun because then people like to, you know, it's like if you really work hard and you're, you're a mean person, it's like that's not encouraging for other people to be work, hard workers. They're like, fuck, I don't want to be a hard worker. Like, look at that guy. But what's really cool is to, is to work with other people that work really, really hard, but to be able to crack jokes along the way, to be having fun. You know, it's, it's really the, re- the release, you know, so work hard, but, you know, play hard. You know, it's, it's very simple, and I feel like it, it really does help, you know, that exhaust. You know, when we get caught into the hard work, you know, we can't play. We have to literally shut off the play for like, you know, a week. And that's hard. It, it's, it we, hard. we don't want to do but that. You find the right moments yes. for play and softness and like, you know, comedic relief. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like having to, these really to work hard for to party. I think it's like it's the perfect niche, you know, for like to be in, you know, for me to be in. You know, I'm such a social butterfly, but like I like to get a lot of shit done. So it's like. To getting paid to go party, mm-hmm. like yes. Well, and something I found too is you know producing. I've been producing these like four to eight hour uh, music festivals that are small and on private property. Oh yeah. Like two to three hundred people, and what I've been learning is that you know it's important for me to you know and for this leadership to also be like okay when is your time off when are you going to be able to like enjoy the event because <laughs> it's not right for a lead to just be on the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you bring in support to support you so that you can take some time off and enjoy the event? Mm-hmm. Like this year at Stargate, out at Gateway Ranch, it was like 3 a.m. on Saturday night, you know, technically Sunday morning. <clears throat> the event ends, you know, Sunday afternoon. And I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, everything's okay. <laughs> everything's on point. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go and I'm just gonna get drunk with my friends. Yeah. And it was like the best thing because like nobody sees me get drunk nobody sees me like let go they always see me as like melina who's like running around picking up trash always doing something but then that moment that i actually like clocked out and released and like had fun with my community Mm -hmm. was like so much more valuable yes yes not just being the person who's always you don't always have to be on point you don't always have to be on task but like create the space and time to do that Mm because that is so important for why and what we do It really is. Well, thank you both so much. Yeah, thank you, Melina. This conversation <laughs> and for sharing your stories and your ideas and your insights. You're both beautiful people, and I'm really excited to see what the future holds for the evolution of this place. Yeah, yes. New City. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Ta da. Meow. Ciao for now. Meow. Meow. Snood. Thank you for listening. This project is brought to you by you, the listeners and supporters of Patreon. If you would like to support the Party Pro Toolkit by contributing $5, $10, $20 per month on Patreon, you will help this project grow as we share stories and ideas from party professionals. Support of this project will allow the research to continue in other cities across the country and around the world. To learn more, please visit PartyProToolkit.com.